Welcome to Making Fit Work. I'm your host, Nina McGough, certified personal trainer and nutrition coach and busy mom of two. I'm committed to helping you get real results by sharing best practices and life hacks to staying consistent. I also regularly interview other busy professionals who have mastered the ability to juggle it all while staying the course with their health and fitness. Let's get started. All right, welcome to another episode of Making Fit Work. I am your host, Nina McGough, and today I have a very special guest with me here today. I'd love for you to all welcome Joy Overstreet, who is 82 years young and author of The Cherry Pie Paradox, The Surprising Path to Diet Freedom and Lasting Weight Loss. Joy, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm really thrilled. Yeah, I am so excited for you to share not only a little bit about the book, but what inspired you to write this book and kind of walking us through your personal journey with weight loss, how you kind of did it without all of the big diets, right? Yes, sure. Yes, this this is what we need to learn. We need to learn this. We need to ingrain it into our minds. So take us back because... By reading your bio, I think my understanding is, is that your first journey really started in 19, was it 74 when your husband 1974, passed? 1974, yeah. I actually could probably take it back to um, when I was about 15. My, <laughs> my parents sent me off to summer camp. I think they really wanted to get rid of me because I was in the middle of 15-year-old, you know, <laughs> yeah, 15-year-old. And yeah. so... Um, but back then this camp was eight weeks and I did not want to go and I was not happy. <laughs> and so I, uh, spent most of the summer eating and I came home 25 pounds heavier Wow! in uh, just eight weeks. That was an accomplishment. <laughs> so, um, uh, when I got home, um, you know, my friends were like, what happened to you? And so I decided I had better diet. And so I, I created my first diet ever, which, which everybody in my friend group, I mean, this was um, in the 50s, late 50s. We were all doing these Metrical, you know, slim fast diets. I mean, there, oh my goodness. I, ha I have to tell you the culture back then was really terrible. Um, and I will in a moment actually read to you something that I, uh, consumed back then to make me feel really, really bad. Um, right. So I'm going to hit pause for just a second, because obviously I don't know. I only know my history with diet culture. So at 15, you and your friends were kind of playing around with diets already drinking this metrical for there was this whole thing. I, I think, um, one of the baby formula companies decided that they wanted to expand into the money-making possibilities of uh, the dieting industry. They transformed Enfamil into, you know, put some strawberry flavor, chocolate flavor in it and made it a oh, diet man. drink. And they had a whole campaign called Metrical for Lunch Bunch. You know, you could, you and your friends would go out for a can of Metrical. I mean, this stuff was disgusting. At any rate, um, so once I lost the weight gradually over the next few months, um, I became obsessed about my weight. And so dieted off and on for years. 
And then in 1972, my husband was diagnosed with cancer and, it, and he died two years later in 74. How old were you at this time, Joy? I was um, 32. Okay. Yeah. I was 34. A young mom. Died. Yeah. So um, he died and I had two little kids to raise on my own. And I had, um, it, it was extremely, uh, it, it, my whole life plan was destroyed. You know, right. I had, I had an envision how, you know, I was going to be kind of a, I believe it to be her mom, like my mother had been at any rate. And how old were your kids at this time? They were, when he died, they were three and six. Wow. So little, little. Yeah. So what I did instead of, well, I just did not pull myself together. I began seriously eating and seriously dieting and seriously cheating on diets. And it was just this obsession that took over my life. I mean, I was so caught up in this whole cycle of shame and blame and uh, and feeling out of control that at one point I I seriously considered suicide and I'm not that oh. kind of a person I mean it was right it was miserable and did you feel like at that time it was the only thing it was the only focus way focus on yeah it was yes it was the only thing I could focus on and and, and I I couldn't get away from myself because I was the problem <laughs> So um, I eventually came to my senses and realized that if I somehow killed myself, which I hadn't figured out quite how I was going to do that, um, that my kids would be orphans and that would not be a good thing. And I adored them. So I decided it was dieting or quitting dieting. And so I quit totally. So at the time, again, because you were doing this Metcal thing when you were 15. What kind of diets were around during this time now? Like um, what stages? What were so some of the messages? In we were doing, diets have cycled and cycled and cycled. And yeah. um, back then, I think it, um, there was the Atkins diet, which is basically what is now a keto diet. Um, and the cottage cheese diet. Every magazine had a diet. Oh my goodness. But I want to read you a book that I got in 1967 called The Thin Book by a Formerly Fat Psychiatrist. And this was a big, you know, this guy was a big deal. And this is his opening chapter. The first, I don't know, are we doing video too here? Yes, we are. Okay, so this, the chapter title is Fatness is a Sickness. Oh, wow. Being fat is a sickness. For our purposes, you are fat and sick if you are at all overweight. This applies whether you are mildly sick, that is three or four pounds overweight, or deathly sick, some 75 pounds overweight. Like many sicknesses, neglect will result in the acute becoming chronic and the benign becoming malignant. So, um, and then he goes... uh, Fat people are anxiety-ridden and handle their anxiety through overeating. At any rate, this is kind of what was going on. So yeah, I was. Not so was that a was that a book that you were reading back then? Yes, I read this book. Yes. This yeah. Is, this is my copy of the book from then. So that's like this is adding to the compulsiveness Correct. to the focus on Correct. Just, right. Correct. Yeah. So um, anyway, I, I just 
threw all the diet books and magazines away and quit quit cold turkey, so to speak, and decided that I would start to try to heal myself by getting a grip on actually what I was doing, which was, so I decided I would just write down everything I ate. Um, yeah. Not counting calories or, or weighing. Or just journaling. Just journaling, you know, three bites right. of this and 10 bites of that. And um, oh, man. just to get a, to, just to sort of tell the truth about what I was doing. Right. And discovered, of course, that I was a grazer. I mean, I basically ate all day long. And I also ate pretty much anything that was in my line of sight. And so yeah. small kids, that meant cleaning up their crusts and their last bites of whatever. Right. Because right. back then I was also a member of the Clean Plate Club, which was a you know leftover from the war. You know, do you know oh. about the clean do you know? No, I don't. No. Oh, my. So this just, yeah. was, you know, if you don't clean your plate, think of the starving children in Nature's yes. world country. Right. right. Yeah. So that was something I dealt with a lot as an adult because my parents were very much like, how can you throw? I can't believe you don't want to eat all your food. There are people dying in other countries. There are starving children. And right. I, right. Yeah. I mean, it never right. occurred to me at the moment that the starving children in wherever were not going to be nourished. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. But there's, right. yes, right. But, but rationality so, wasn't part of this. So. Joy, I have a question for you. During this time where you were kind of like, you know, on a diet, cheating on your diet, like being on a diet and, you know, all this like back and forth, what was your, did you have a support group at all? Anyone uh, around you? No, no, no. no. Uh, no, not at all. No. Right. Um, at any rate, so um, a few, like just a couple of weeks after I started writing down what I was eating, I started feeling a little, just having quit all of this, I started feeling much calmer and a little more in control. And I was taking my kids over to a friend's house who was going to do a, we were going to have a play date. Um, and she was just sitting down to breakfast. And her breakfast was cherry pie, which in itself was like, in my book, wrong. Right, right. <laughs> You're going to have dessert for breakfast? Like dessert? that's no, a no, big no. dieting no-no. No, no, no. And I just like, I'll have black coffee, thank you. And, and she sat there across from me and ate her piece of pie and enjoyed it thoroughly. But she got about halfway through this piece. And then she sat back and she patted her stomach and she goes, full and she took the piece of pie or the half piece and pulled the garbage can over to her and scraped it into the garbage can and this this totally blew my mind I had right. I had just never seen anyone throw away a perfectly good piece of pie um, so I looked at Carol and I looked at myself and I thought there's something about Carol that I don't understand that I want to understand because Carol was a skinny little thing. Mm. And I knew that even when I was at my ideal weight, I still felt fat. I still thought fat. I still was always on a mental diet. And I wanted ah. to have that freedom that Carol had to eat what she wanted and be done when she was done. And, to, and so I began um, studying actually, you know, 
taking people out to lunch and just, you know, watching them eat and seeing how they related to food and asking them questions about what they thought about what they were eating and, you know, if they had any attitudes or beliefs about why they were eating the thing they were eating. So and just a little bit of like self-human behavior studying, yeah, like just right, with you exactly. and your friend group. Yeah, right. Exactly. And um, began to categorize behaviors as fat behaviors or thin behaviors and decided oh. that I wanted to, that I, that even at my, as I said, even at my ideal weight, I still felt fat or felt, thought fat and what I wanted was to be not only slim outside, but thin inside and not have that, that warped self-image that drove my choices about what I was gonna eat. So I devised a way of experiencing what I was eating. I had a friend who actually coached me. She was like the original life coach. I mean, literally the original life coach. This is back in, well, 74. And she kept saying, you know, for you, the obstacle is the way, you know, you need to like experience your, your emotions, you know, experience the food, experience the, and so um, I devised a series of experiential exercises for myself, you know, getting more in touch with my body, getting more in touch with the food, setting the environment so that it worked best for me. and. Um, after a few weeks of experimenting with this, I was losing weight and feeling a hundred pounds lighter in my head. I give us invited, give us some examples. What do you mean by like setting the stage with your body and your food and just arrive? Okay, so arriving at the table, my head at the table when my body got there. So, um, so much of the time you know, as a young mother with kids, and it was just chaos around me all the time. And so Got it. I'd be doing 10 different things at the same time I was trying to eat. And so I was not there with my food. Right. Um, right. I think so a lot getting, of moms can relate to that. Right. So getting yeah. in touch with the sensations in my body, was I hungry? How hungry? Um, was I full? Did I like what I was eating? And I became, uh, I had been my mother, my mother used to call herself the human garbage pail. She's like, I can eat anything. I will eat anything. And I was very proud of myself as a human garbage pail. I thought that was a, a great thing to be, that I could and would eat anything. But um, as I started doing like taste testing of my food, I realized that I don't like everything, that some things um, I like more than other things. And that even the things that I thought that I loved, say a chocolate brownie, when you actually experience a brownie, if you're a chocolate lover, mm -hmm. you may go into it, you, you see the brownie in front of you and you, your immediate expectation or thought is, I love brownies, I love mm -hmm. chocolate. Right. And so you, you have an expectation that it's gonna be wonderful. And I was doing this system where I was rating my food on a scale of one to 10. I think the brownies would be a 10. Yeah. And so maybe the first bite is a 10, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's, it was made from a mix and, it, and it, it's actually a five. Um, yeah. 
But let's say it is a 10 and you start eating it and about halfway through, your taste buds actually get desensitized. They get accustomed and the, the, it's not as exciting. And yeah. so maybe it's a six at that point. Um, and, and as you go on, maybe you're just getting a little sick of the flavor. And so it goes down. at any rate, you get the idea. So and, then, and being able to say like, I'm kind of done. out of flavor with this brownie now. Yeah, so like, I've had, I've do had, I really need to keep having it? Exactly. I've had the best yeah. of it. And right. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah, that's great. So, Anyway, so you started you started these experiments with yourself, and then I invited um, several of my neighbor friends in to go through this process with me to see if I was if I was just blowing smoke, and they <laughs> yeah. were like, "This is working," you know. And uh, we would have taste testings. Um, I would have them bring their favorite favorite snack or their favorite comfort food. Uh, and we would taste these things, um, <clears throat> and it was working. I mean, they were losing weight, and they were enjoying it, and we were sharing. You know, we were learning from each other as well. And so then I put this into a program called Thin Within. So when you say it was working, you were doing this taste testing of kind of like rating your food, what it feels like when it starts, and then kind of what was it like, hey, when it, when it starts to feel like a five? stop or it was it like once you start to feel like you're full like what were the parameters for uh, any and all of those I mean it, it was um we were both in touch with our bodies and in touch with the flavors of the food I mean the taste testing was just a part of of the process um we were also very interested in or I was very interested in the beliefs that we have about food. Um, <clears throat> you know, for example, the belief, I love chocolate, when in fact, some chocolate is terrible. Uh, and so, or, or carrots are good for me. And, uh, or, and I love carrots. And in fact, some of the time carrots are dry and, and not very sweet. Uh, uh, another kind of a belief that, that um, I remember just being astonished by my own was that sandwiches come in two halves. And so you have, you know, if you're going to have a sandwich, there's two halves to it. And so you eat both halves. Um, and right. eggs for breakfast, I mean, when you have eggs for breakfast, that's more than one egg, that's two eggs. <laughs> and eggs usually have toast with them. And so just trying to detach from the the thoughts that I had in my head about the food and the reality of it. Like um, that the fact that they had to come together or that right, like, right, right. I see what you're saying. Like if I really only want half a sandwich, I can have half a sandwich. Like, yes. Or the uh, fact that like you can have eggs without having toast with them. Yes. Or you can right, have five eggs or one egg or. Right. Uh, yeah. So. Okay. I see. Yeah. So it was just these little hidden uh, thoughts, um, yeah, like uh, another thought was kale, kale is good for me. Well, I don't like kale. Right. <laughs> and so, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you know, and I was eating kale and I was eating things that, you know, they were all right. Um, another discovery was that certain, the, 
I divided foods into two different types. And this is relevant for a lot of things in life, actually, that some foods are teasers. I call them teasers, that they're just in front of you and you eat them because they're there. Or, you know, it's the, the chips on the, uh, at the party on the coffee table. It's the yes. candy at the bank teller's desk. Right. It's the, it's you smell the Cinnabon wafting over you at the mall. So you have to have, yep. you know, even though you're not hungry. Um, so those things are teasers and they're like, uh, in, in terms of um, actual other life experience, it's like when you see a sign uh, for sale on the boutique door, two for yep. one blouses, and right. you go in and you buy two, even though you don't need one right. deal. And so right. it's kind of like that. Um, and a teaser might be in food. It might be cottage cheese because it's diet food or celery. Mm. And so you eat the diet food, you know, the sugarless cookie, and then you're still, it's, it doesn't do anything for you. There's no satisfaction in it. Right. And so then you go after the thing you really wanted. Right. Um, and so those things that you really want, we call pleasers. And those are the things that you think about without seeing them. And you just think, you know, oh, that, um, well, there used to be a restaurant near me um, that made this incredible butterscotch pudding. And, and I, you know, I'd have to go there to get it. And I didn't even have the, anything else on the menu. I would just go to the bar and have a dish of chocolate pudding. I mean, I oh, butterscotch man. pudding. Butterscotch, yeah. With a, a small glass of brandy. <laughs> <laughs> and so that would be a pleaser. Um, yeah. And in life, we have lots of teasers and pleasers. You know, we have yeah. invitations to parties that we should go to, but we don't want to. Um, uh, and people who, uh, you know, obligations that we think we should do. But yeah, at any rate. I love that. I love those terms, teasers and pleasers. I do talk about something similar with my clients, but I uh, usually use the terms triggers and buffers, like sure. a trigger trigger food versus a buffer food. And it's very similar, right? Like for some, a glass of wine could trigger them to want to have more wine or more snacks or yeah, sure. Whereas for others, a glass of wine might actually buffer them and satisfy them and help them decompress and that yeah. be it. Yeah. Right. Because they, you know, so yeah, it's, I like that. Teasers and pleasers. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Anyway. So, um, we so this program became um, a very successful seminar program. It took over a, a period of two months, uh, workshops every week. And one of the benefits of this um, system was that it didn't matter the kind of food you liked, you know, or your ethnicity or your cultural or your whether you were vegan or uh, kosher or whatever. It, yeah, you could adapt it. The rules. Um, we had some rules that were, <clears throat> I originally called the optimum conditions for conscious eating, which ah. my editor said, you know, like that is like optimum <laughs> conditions for conscious eating. <laughs> what are you? So we call it the winning formula, uh, which ah. is better when it's just a bunch of uh, systems and, and ways of thinking about food that guide 
how you eat. Um, at any rate, um, we had this groups that met every week and there was homework every between sessions and there was sharing at the sessions, which were um, a way of letting others know that you are not alone and that, and when you hear the story of other people and their particular struggles, you often discover things that you hadn't known yourself about yourself. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, but did you, you find you're not alone. Did you find during these weekly workshops where people would share that a lot of um, of that kind of like dieting mindset was coming up for people. Oh yeah, sure. Like some, just some old ideas and behaviors that was, was hard the, for them was to. This the idea of it. The exercises that we did were all designed to bring up that stuff. It was very much um, a mental focus or, well, mental. Uh, thinking, changing your thinking, realizing, discovering what you think. Yeah, which is why you do the thing you do. And so once you figure out your faulty reasoning, uh, what were some of the things, what were some of the things that were coming up for people in the workshop? Like what were some of the, I guess, mindset things that were holding people back or that they were struggling with? I assume the majority of the people in your group were, were women. Is that correct? Majority. Of? We had, yeah. one of the things that was interesting is we had, we had men as well, but um, much fewer, maybe 10%. The guys, this was fascinating. I would share the rules and, mm -hmm. or the winning formula and they're going, oh, okay. That sounds, that sounds good I can do that and they would just yeah. do it right because and they would lose like we had one guy that lost 70 pounds in oh my in god three months I mean it's like what I, I mean he's just like I just had never thought of it that way and it seems it makes so much sense to me and, and I'll I just do it a, no big deal and right the women were struggling with all the baggage and so much baggage the clean plate club was one of them and one of the exercises we did every time we had an eating experience was throwing away part of whatever it was that they were tasting. So they would bring a favorite snack. That was the first thing they tasted, I think. Bring a favorite snack and we would experience the first few bites of it. And then I would say, okay, now throw it away. Here's, here's the garbage can. And they're oh like, my God. No! <laughs> it was really, do you think, this is so interesting. Do you think some of that is because they were the one who made the food or just ingrained of like, we don't throw away food. We do not waste. I, I've thought about that. And I think there's that. I also think that we're, we're in a magic spell. We're in a, <laughs> in a magic spell that the food yeah, has yeah. got some kind of a, um, Hold on us. This, yeah, it kind of a magnetic hold on us. And so this practicing throwing it away was a tremendous exercise to break that spell. Um, but I also, I was watching myself, you know, cleaning my kids' plates. And 
I think that I had, and I can't speak for everyone, the attitude that if it's near me, it must be mine. <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, uh, or if I made it, it's mine. Um, so, you know, it was like a part of me. And to mm. throw it away was to throw away a part of me. Yeah. That's crazy. But there was, I mean, there was a lot of weird stuff going on. And uh, yeah. It's so interesting. Cause I mean, I, even like thinking of just my family dynamics, my mom still does that. Yeah. Like I, you know, if my kids leave a, something on their plate, she's just like grabbing it off their plate to have it. Like, oh, I'll have that. I'll, I'll finish it. And I can't, I don't know what the connection is. Like, I, I guess that's why it's coming up for me. Like, is it because we've made it and there's this like connection, like don't throw that last bite out. I'll have it. I'll take it from you. I'll save it. <laughs> I will yeah. savor it and savor it or yeah. whatever it is. I, yeah, it's so interesting. Well, I, you know, and I think that there's a connection between hoarding and weight issues. It's, it's, a, it's connected to, ah. to that same urge to have concepts it, yeah it. yeah right save it yeah right 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 what were some of the other things so clearly that was a challenge for the women the clean plate being yeah. able to throw stuff yeah. away yeah. um did you was there a time in the process where people were getting nervous that it wasn't working and that they should revert back to the old diets that they were doing not so much. Okay. The, the, the biggest complaint was, um, we tell them to not eat until they're hungry and stop when they're full. Satisfied. Yeah. Yeah. yeah satisfied. Uh, full. Yeah. And we didn't talk about full actually is when you're satisfied because faded is different from being full. Right that um, they were pissed off because like I had this thing that I love. I had this big pile of mashed potatoes or whatever. Yeah, right. And I'm halfway through it and I realize I'm full and that pisses me off because I want to have the all of it. And so they were angry that they got full before they had finished. Um, so do you think that's part of just like this overall mindset around food and scarcity? Like yeah. Yeah, I yeah, made it, good. it's here. I need to have it now because I might not have it again. Yeah, right. Well, and it's also, that's a good point. It's also um, like FOMO, fear of missing out. Yeah. You know, you, right. uh, you, you go to a restaurant or a buffet and it's like, there's so much stuff and it's so exciting and you have to have it all. And um you know, I like find, I'll never get it again. If I right. Don't I find that, that a lot of people struggle with this, that specific like FOMO feeling around the holidays or around like seasonal stuff, right? Like mm -hmm. the summer comes and there's barbecues and margaritas and it's like, but it's the summertime. It's like, but the summer is coming again. And not just that, but you can truly have a margarita whenever you want it. Yeah. It doesn't have to be July or August, right? Or like cookies or like Halloween candy. It's like literally you can get Reese's peanut butter cups anytime you want. Right. Yes, absolutely. And if you really, so we did a bunch of exercises where people realize 
that they weren't present for the meal at all or you know that there was so much else going on in their heads or in the environment that they they basically you know they had food on their plate and then suddenly 10 minutes later or 15 minutes later the plate is clean and they have no recollection of the experience of actually consuming it and so Mm. when you spend time actually being present to the food you can eat less and feel like you've had enough um yeah so yeah, I actually that um, a few people have said that to me in regards to snacking in the car. So sure. moms who are like running back and forth, bringing their kids to soccer games and running errands and back and forth, and they're snacking and eating something in the car. It's almost as if that did not even happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like they forget it even happened or it doesn't feel like it happened because they're inhaling it in a hurry versus trying to actually enjoy it mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. eat it. Mm-hmm. Right. Was so that hard really, for people uh, to slow down? Yeah. Because you had to get them to slow down, right? Yeah. That's, you have to get them to slow down. You have to get them to be there with the food. You know. So when you're watching TV and the food is in front of you, the snacks are in front of you and suddenly, or in the movie and you reach down and the popcorn bag is empty. It's like, where to go. Right. Uh, right. So all of that, it's just um, a series of, of waking up to your body, waking up to the food in front of you, waking up to your attitudes and your beliefs and um, choosing what you're eating more intentionally. And so this whole process, this process of um, wake, I mean, it's a wake up process, the whole thing. Yeah, uh, it's a ju- and it's a journey that takes time. And so, so when I wrote the book, the Cherry Pie Paradox, um, I love this drawing. Um, oh my god, yeah, so cute. Uh, she's there's there's a dozen illustrations in in here that are very quirky, because um, I want people to lighten up about the whole about all of it because it's yeah we hold it as such this heavy problem. So when it comes to this lasting weight loss that you walk people through in the book, Joy, is there anything that is off the table? Are there any foods that people aren't, it's, no, they can enjoy no. it all. It's about right. how they enjoy it. Yes. I mean, foods that are off the table. And if your doctor tells you, you shouldn't eat this thing, then right. yeah, right. that's fine. Right. But uh, otherwise, no. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, no, no, nothing off the table because when somebody says you can't have that you want it for some yes i mean yeah for me anyway that's the first thing it's like oh yeah oh yeah you yeah. can't talk about that uh, it's so. like the first thing you're craving after that <laughs> right it's so. like well guess what i want now yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. i hadn't even Obviously. thought of it till you mentioned <laughs> <laughs> yeah i haven't exactly i haven't thought of it but then also there is a little bit of this um telling someone that this is off the table, it's like, say they do end up having it for whatever reason at a party, then don't you feel like there's this little trigger in their head that goes, I'm a failure. Yes. I, yes I'm yes. a failure. Joy told yes. me I couldn't have that yeah. and I can't even go one week without it. So yeah. I yeah. am a complete failure. So that is, that, that brings up a really, really good point. Um, we talked a lot about failing and, and falling off the wagon or whatever and yes that that is actually 
fantastic information. You should celebrate your failures and say, okay, I really blew it that time. I had, um, well, I had an experience at a, uh, I'm not going to, it's a long story, at a family camp where I definitely went way off. And yeah, I listened to this story in my brain. It's like, if I had one donut, um, that might be okay. But, but then I had a second one. And so then I might as well have 10 of them and I'm off way off here. And then I hate myself for the next, whatever period of time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you have to talk yourself down from that and figure out where you went wrong and what you could do to prevent it next time, because it will happen again. Yeah. It'll right, happen. Right. And that's fine. You're human. Um, and so to treat yourself with a little sense of humor and compassion, the whole process requires curiosity and compassion. Those are the most essential things. Don't you think the process too, it sounds like very similar uh, to what I try to teach my clients is like a little bit of getting to know yourself, right? Absolutely. And how you, how you truly feel about food and you yourself and what you enjoy and what you don't enjoy. Like that is huge. I had a very similar experience, Joy. Um, Every Thanksgiving, you know, I'm Portuguese. We have this pastry that just, I just love, love and only have it at Thanksgiving, right? What is it? It's called, it's called a cajada or pastel de nata from Portugal. And um, what is it? it's like a little custard. Oh, I've this, had it. Like, I've you had have it. had it? Oh, oh I have had it. It is like. It's amazing, right? It's I could amazing. eat a box. I yeah. could eat a box. Yeah. And I would eat a box because yeah. what would happen is I would show up to Thanksgiving and I would say like, Nina, you are a nutrition coach. You are a personal trainer. You are going to refrain from the kajavish today. You are not going to have them. You can do this. And then I would have one because of course I'm going to have one, right? Like. I love them. I want them. And then I would feel disappointed in myself. Like I can't even keep away from one. And then I would have another one. And then I would have another one. And then afterwards I would be like, I literally just say like half a dozen kajadas. We're like, what the hell is freaking wrong with me? Like, why can't I just stay away from them? And it wasn't until I started to show up to this holiday and just saying like, of course I'm going to have a kajada. Like, and I may have five. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah. Like I, I'm going to have it and I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah. And I'm not going to put any pressure on myself about how many I'm going to have yeah. about trying to stay away from them. I'm just going to have it and enjoy it versus having it and then going, well, I'm the worst and I have no self-control because then I'm not even really enjoying it. Like you're saying, right? Like I'm not even, I'm not even really paying attention to how much, how delicious it is Yeah, because I'm immediately getting mad at myself for it. And it wasn't until that I started doing that, that I would show up and I would have one, maybe two, but I wasn't having now half a dozen. I wasn't leaving going, Oh my God, I can't believe I had that many. Right. Like I was just like, well, that was delicious. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And being done with it. Yeah. So it's the story that we lay on top of, of the thing that we did, you know, the story that all is lost now. And so I might as right. well. And that's why I gave up on so many diets because I cheated instantly after I put myself on one. And then mm. it's like, oh, 
all is lost. I might as well have right. the whole thing anyway. And, and then you uh, have to start something new after. And then to start something new. And then the whole night though, before I started the new thing was, was uh, castigating myself mm. for, yeah, it was, it was bad. <laughs> um, now, how long did this whole kind of cherry pie paradox project right so leading up to actually writing the books how long did this like experimenting with your friends and doing the workshop how long did that did you do that for until you, you wrote the book so I did that I left Thin Within in 1980 and um because you know for a variety of reasons I wanted to do something else and I also had completely dissolved my weight problem I mean I was at my ideal weight I have been there ever since um without Amazing. ever I've never dieted you know I've had cherry pie when I wanted or or those little Portuguese pastries oh, oh so good <laughs> so good and I had them in Portugal which oh. is better <laughs> yes that it does definitely better yeah warm um, oh they're so good warm at any rate so um I left in 1980 and I, at that point I had decided I was going to write the book and, okay. but I got remarried. I went to grad school. I had a third child and went off in a whole bunch of different directions. And suddenly um, a year before my 80th birthday, I thought, oh my God, I still want to get this story out there because I think it's so important. There's we talk all about diet culture, but we're still, or the anti-diet, we're all into anti-diet and intuitive eating. We're still as crazy as we ever were. I really yeah. believe that. And <clears throat> even though it's not okay to talk about yourself or another person as fat, um, we still say those words in our head. Yeah. So we try right. on a new pair of jeans and they're like too tight and we go, oh my God, it's so fat. Uh, yeah. And we, we, it's just in there. And so I felt like it was important to get this process out there. And I've also learned a great deal since then uh, about neuro, the neurobiology of, you know, and how our brain works and cognitive behavioral change. And uh, I've been involved in some um, Eastern religion, you know, Buddhism and meditation practices. And I realized I could add more to it to kind of yeah. push it out and so right. the, the book uh the cherry pie paradox walks people through the process um of getting to that place of diet freedom but i realized after i finished the book that it's if i say so myself i think it's a pretty it's a real fun read and there people have a lot of aha moments with it, as they read it yep but you know, you can read the book in a day and think you've got it, but book learning is not it. And you have to walk the process. So I just yeah, finished yeah. a workbook um, to help walk people through the process so that it takes time because it took, I mean, how long does it take to create a weight problem? Decades. Right, right. A lifetime, perhaps. And so it's not going to happen overnight. You need to have kind of a companion on the journey. And we don't have, um, most people aren't doing group process anymore. It would be mm -hmm. great to have a group, but um, this is the closest I could come to that because I didn't wanna 
I'm not interested in getting back into the weight loss thing. It's just, you know, I've, yeah. I've moved right. on. But I really wanted to share this process because I feel like it's humane, kind, um, applicable in many circumstances to all kinds of people. I mean, I, uh, I've taught clutter clearing classes uh, because I think that's a similar kind of problem. Right, right. Um, uh, that involves stories of uh, why we do things. Um, anyway. Joy, one last question. How have you seen diet culture and the messaging about bodies and diets change and evolve over the years? Good question. I, I see many people, many, particularly women who have extra pounds or what I would have thought of as extra pounds, really embracing it. And I, I applaud that. I think it's fantastic. And people like Lizzo and um, Amy Schumer, fantastic. I also see what I would call um, orthorexia, you know, as opposed to anorexia. Do you know what I, I this is a new I've never, I've never heard that orthorexia term. Orthorexia is eating right. And it is a kind of thing that we are big on now. So it really is a in a sense, a diet is like being obsessed that I'm eating the most nutritious, healthiest thing that I, you know, nutrient dense, um, and I'm maybe intermittent fasting so that my body can rest and I'm doing all these other things. And they're just as obsessed in their own way, not necessarily mm. about weight, but about right eating. And ortho is right. Um, so doing right. everything right. Doing everything right, which is, Got it. as far as I'm concerned, a diet. Um, and uh, so I think we're still a little bit crazy, a lot crazy. Yeah. yeah. And excuse me, we're, we're even more overweight than we were when I was doing Thin Within back in 1975. Yeah. Yeah, there and, are some more positive messaging out there, but I feel like as far as diet, it's still very much like <clears throat> follow this, do this or that. Right. Um, and I feel like personally, what I see is the more rules there are to follow. If there are so many rules to follow, right, that's still very much diet culture. Yeah, there's still the, the and, and the rules you you resist. When there's rules, there's like, hmm. that's why I called them optimum conditions. Rather than <laughs> <Right>. rules. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of good things happening with uh, self-compassion. But one of my students back in 1977 or eight, I think, was Janine Roth. I don't know if you know her work. Mm -mm. So she... Um, she wrote uh, Women, Food, and God. She wrote um, Breaking Through Breakthrough and Emotional Something about it emotional sounds, eating. It sounds familiar. Huge, huge bestseller. I mean, she was on Oprah. She's been everywhere. She she teaches retreats, and they're, they're basically self-love, uh, but eating as well. At any rate, there are people who are carrying on the message. I, I feel good about that. Um, That's great. Yeah. Um, where can everyone find your book? Where can they find you? 
So my book, The Cherry Pie Paradox, is at Amazon, and um, you can order it from Barnes & Noble and other places like that. Uh, The audiobook is coming out momentarily. Oh, nice. I love audibles. Yeah. And the audiobook, uh, sorry, and the workbook, which I think is essential for people who buy the audiobook, um, the workbook um, is just just posted on Amazon and should be available uh, elsewhere shortly uh, through other distributors. Um, So, oh, and I have a website, joyoverstreet.com. Uh, Thank you. For and sharing. if people, if your listeners want to email me, joy at joyoverstreet.com, I will send them. Where is it? I put them here somewhere. I had a, oh yeah, I had a, I have a, a winning formula uh, bookmark, but I will. Oh, I love that. Text. I will send them the text of this or, you know, if they want me to mail them, I can probably if they send me their snail mail. Yeah, that's absolutely. I love that. Yeah. So, Joy, one last thing before we go. If you had to kind of look back and give your younger self one piece of advice when it comes to health, fitness, diet, life, um, as someone who is 82 years young, thriving now and has been thriving, what what would it be? Mm. I would say, be curious, be that. curious. And, um, and it will get better. It does get better. Uh, but I just, I think curiosity, staying open to learning and discovery is the secret to pretty much everything. Not to keep going back, but now that you're saying be curious, it just made me think about like just self-assessment and being able to assess and reassess how we feel. Did you find that during the process, uh, whether it be with like the workshops or even within yourself, that there was a lot of this um, feeling or statements of like, but that's just who I am. That's what I do. This is what like. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. I actually just got into a little discussion with my sister who is a very disciplined person you know if she says she's going to do something she absolutely does it and she can be consistent she does her yoga practice every single morning and I told her I just struggle to I need to have I need to go to a class I need to have someone I need to have an agreement with somebody that I'm going to do a thing at a certain time otherwise (laughs) I have all these best stories and I told her the story that I'm what's known as an obliger and I need accountability I need an accountability buddy or got it you know, to do the thing that I want to do and she's like oh come on joy that's bullshit you just that's a story and I'm like I know it's a story <laughs> I'm sticking to it yeah that's my story and I'm sticking to it yeah <laughs> yeah so you know, I do think that there are some parts of ourselves that we just, we have to acknowledge, you know, I, I acknowledge that I am an obliger, I need accountability. And so my way mm-hmm. to get it is to, to sign up for classes that meet at a certain time uh, that I've paid for, <laughs> or to meet a friend to walk at a certain time in a certain place. Right. I just, right, that, right. That's what I need to do to keep myself on target. Um, and other people have 
infinite self-control and discipline. That's not me. Yeah, you gotta know you gotta you gotta know yourself. You gotta know yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And what you need help with and yeah, uh, what you need to work on and yeah. So having somebody like you who's a, a coach um is a fantastic thing. I you know, there are people who really need, like me, to be accountable and to have to know that you're there every week or whenever the they have their appointments with yeah, you right. that that um uh somebody's waiting and watching uh that's good and has their back yeah absolutely i think that's important to have people in your corner who want to see you succeed with your goal um but also who are empathetic and can understand and realize that yeah. it's a process I right. truly appreciated this conversation today, Joy. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your process um, and the book with us. I can't wait to read it myself. I'm going to jump on Amazon and order my copy right now. I hope Thank that you. everybody else does too, whether you are um, on a weight loss journey or curious to learn a little bit more about yourself and your feelings about food. I hope that you will jump on Amazon, check out Joy's book, The Cherry Pie Paradox, The Surprising Path to Diet Freedom and Lasting Weight Loss. And then write a review. Oh, and write a review. Yes, <laughs> guys. Review. Re- yeah. We anyway. love reviews. Yeah. Um, if you found this episode at all helpful, insightful, I hope you'll write a review. I'll hope you share it with your friends. And until next time, we will chat again soon. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Nina. All right, you guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Making Fit Work. If you did, it would mean so much to me if you took a minute to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference and would be super helpful to me. Also, if you have any topic suggestions, if there's something in particular you'd love for me to address on this podcast, feel free to shoot me a message. I would absolutely love to hear from you. You can shoot me a DM on Facebook or Instagram and find me at fit with underscore Nina. Again, you can find me at fit with underscore Nina, or you can join my private community on Facebook called making fit work and drop your topic suggestions in there. Until next time, my friends, be strong, be healthy, be happy.